You're listening to the Boca Banter Photography Podcast with Joe High and Chris Golden. On today's show... It's a beautiful thing when you finally have that aha moment where you're like, okay, I want to get this shot and I know how to do it. It's all coming up on Boca Banter. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boca Banter with Joe and Chris. I'm Joe. How's it going, Joe? And I'm Chris. And we must still be a little (laughs) bit off because of the remote connection here. So forgive us if we're talking over each other. Yes, yes. Uh, Next step in the quarantine process, uh, just basically staying home at all times. Uh, It's gotten even worse because it is the middle of April right now uh, in upstate New York, and it's currently snowing. Yeah, but, you know, it's I I'm getting I'm just feel like. Every day there's something new to complain about, and it's starting to really bring me down. So, <laughs> Well, we haven't been hit by a plague of locusts yet, so I mean, it could always be worse in the grand scheme of things. Tune in next week for the yeah, update we'll, on the... We'll keep you posted on that one. But uh, anyway, so Joe, it sounds like you've had some quality gaming time in, and uh, yes. we had a little chance to practice a little bit with uh, digital photography. I took up... We always do digital photography. (laughs) Not taking digital photos, but taking photos in a digital world. There you go. Yes, I took you up on your idea slash challenge slash inspiration to go throughout the lands of Hyrule in Breath of the Wild and try my hand at landscape photography with the camera rune on the Sheikah Slate. Uh, And none of this would make any sense if our listeners haven't played Breath of the Wild. Yeah, so in case you don't speak that language, basically there's this game called Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is an absolutely beautiful game. There's lots of very scenic-looking environments, hills, mountains, rivers, oceans, valleys, everything. And uh, there's a little camera that you can open up in it. Uh, Not like the camera that you would swing around to see your character or anything like that, but like your character in the game can hold a camera in front of him and take photos. Basically, like Uh, it's basically an iPad. Basically, yeah. Um, Yeah, there's all sorts of different utilities to it. And one of the functions to it is a camera that you can use for like cataloging different items or monsters or anything like that. And uh, I had mentioned to Joe on a previous episode that uh, some people have taken these digital in-game cameras, not only for Legend of Zelda, but for all sorts of other games, uh, like the new Spider-Man game that came out. Uh, There's a fantastic uh, survival horror game called The Last of Us that uses a very in-depth photo mode. Uh, The one in Zelda is a little bit rudimentary, so I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts were on that, because it's a very, very basic setup, but I think you kind of get the general gist of it. So, Joe, tell me about your experience. Well, there's there's no controls at all for depth of field or shutter speed or white balance. It's really just hold up the... You can zoom in and you can zoom out, and that does a little something. There actually is a slight, very slight um, bokeh, if you like zoom in really, cl- uh, really, really, yeah, if you zoom in really close on something that's very close to Link, then you actually do get a slight, slight bokeh effect. And I tried to do that, but it was so hard because anything of interest that you actually want to take a picture of that close is probably also trying to kill you in the game. Ah, so okay. I was like, all right, well, what if I zoomed in on a rock? Well, rocks are boring. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to go for a wide shot landscape. So I just went around. I'm like, all right, let's try. Mount Lanayru, and I would, you know, teleport all around the map trying to find my best angle, which was totally not something you could do if this was a real, real life situation. 
and <laughs> so there are pros and cons. There are pros and cons. Yeah, I, it was it was kind of fun. It was kind of frustrating though because there are elements that reminded me a lot of actual landscape photography, namely the fact that you have to wait for the right time of day. You right? can't just yeah. go and like I'm going to take a picture now. You have to wait for sunset. You have to wait for sunrise, depending on the angle that you want it. And you can't you can't zip to that time in the game. You can cut to morning, which is right after sunrise. You can cut to night, which is right after sunset. Or you can cut to noon and wait and wait and wait <laughs> for that sunset. But the good news is, is that in Zelda, a day takes maybe 30 minutes to cycle through a full 24-hour cycle in the game. Yeah, so but still. So at the very least, you're not sitting around for you know, eight hours waiting for your shot. Okay. Yeah. I guess, I guess I am being a little bit of a little bit picky, man. I had to wait 15 minutes for sunset, but (laughs) still, you know, I'm like, okay, there's my shot. I just want to try this. I'm sitting on my couch, you know, reclined my chin into my chest and I want the sunset now. So, but I did actually get a couple photos. I, I think you saw one. I took more than one and I, I actually, the one that you saw, I actually found out that you can post your photos from Breath of the Wild, or no, I'm sorry, you can post screenshots on the Nintendo Switch to your social media feed. So I would take a picture on the Sheikah Slate in-game, I would view that picture in-game, take a screenshot on the switch and then take that screenshot and upload it to Facebook and then download it from Facebook where I then took it into Photoshop. <laughs> oh, so you did actually do a little manipulation. I did. To yes. It. I, okay. I don't think it. I've seen that final project. You didn't see it. And unfortunately I can't show it to you right now, but I'll put a link in the show notes and I will put it online in our group, which we need to talk about. Yes, absolutely. Big news in the Boca Banter world. So we now have a Facebook group that you can follow. We have officially launched at this point. We are live. Uh, across multiple platforms. It's up. It's running. It's for real. Yeah, we are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music. Uh, I thought there was another one. I can't. If you know of one that's not listed on the Boca Banter website, bocabanter.com, you can click subscribe when you go on there and see all the places that we're, uh, that the, the uh, podcast is available right now. If you have a specific app that you like to use that's not on there, I'm not familiar with many more than the ones that are on the website, but if enough people say, oh, you, you got to be listed on this, let us know because I can probably add us on to that. I'd also love to know if anybody is interested in getting this up on YouTube. Uh, normally, sure. podcasts on YouTube is usually just like a waveform. Uh, as a video background or mm-hmm. anything like that. But I think it might be interesting if you and I have a specific thing that we talk about, like your landscape photo, for instance, you know, it'd be pretty simple to throw it up there. But um, I'm leery of I making also, this too hard to do. But yes, if there's enough interest, I'll totally do it. Yeah, I mean, just reach out, let us know everybody's interested in. We'll see if we can accommodate. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like we just launched, we're going to be letting people know that we're doing this now. And I mean, let, let's be honest, we've probably got like, three people listening right now, but, uh, eventually we hope to grow a kind of a community. That's going to be where that community interacts is on that Facebook group. Yes, absolutely. Or any other type of social media. doesn't matter. Yep. But, um, 
you know, always looking for ways of kind of engaging the community, finding new and fun ways to do things. That's why we kind of started our new photography challenge that uh, Vlad helped us out with in the last episode. Yes, be sure to listen to that episode with Mr. Denko to share his, I can't pronounce his full last name. It's not actually Denko, but that's how he gives it to us Americans yes. who can't pronounce his full name. Certainly makes it a whole lot easier on our end. Uh, and but a great I'm episode. Absolutely on not going to be the one to butcher it. Oh, I'm sorry. There, I just talked over you. See, you monster. I'm sorry. Uh, it was a great episode on printmaking for photographers. So please give that a listen. And yes, if you absolutely yes, and if uh, this is going to be hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, to as a reminder, for those of you who may not have listened to the last episode yet, uh, we have a photo challenge going up. I don't know if challenge is the best word, Chris. Um, we'll, we'll come up with something better. A, a I'm in advertising. I can do this. Yeah, yeah, we'll find a better word. But it is kind of an assignment for the community. And this month, the challenge is rather, well, challenging. Uh, you are to take photos of your workplace, your desk, your office, what have you, and you must use the longest focal length that is available to you. And as per the extra bonus challenge that Vlad put forward, the photo subject has to include something to do with printmaking. Can be a frame, can be a print that you've done, can be a map board cutter or something. Something that shows that you have some interest in actually printing your photos. So that's the challenge. We want to see some ideas. We want to see some inspiration and some creative uh, creations from this project. Yes, and if you have any ideas of any other subjects or compositions or other kind of curveballs that we could throw into these to make them a little bit more interesting uh, in the future, feel free to let us know. Absolutely, because the the purpose of this, uh, Chris, you, you and I have tried to word this properly, but the the main goal of the over the overarching goal of what we're trying to do with this show here is really get photographers to go out and take action uh, from inspiration. So sharing your creations, your ideas, your thoughts could inspire somebody else to make something really, really great. So don't be shy. This is not a contest. There's not going to be any winners or losers or anything like that. It is totally for your own growth and benefit and the benefit of the community, inspiring you, inspiring others. Absolutely. Although I would be open to uh, giving a shout out to some of the more notable entries. I think a shout out's good, but uh, I don't necessarily think the idea of a winner would be that great. We don't. This isn't about, you know... X photo is better than Y photo. It's about, you know, everybody lifting each other up. Sharing inspiration. Yeah. Especially now when we're all, we're all stuck at home. Uh, we need some inspiration. We need some creativity. So that's the goal. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Joe, I, I, I do have one last question before we ditch this subject entirely. Did you enjoy your digital hike, your digital photo trip? In Hyrule? Yes. The trip itself didn't involve much hiking because in in the world of the Breath of the Wild, you can teleport. You can fly there. You can fly you can there. Ride there you can teleport. On yeah, grab a horse. You can. All right. All right. All right. Did you did you find anything uh, inspiring about the process at all? I always find it intriguing to make something with very limited means. Uh, in this case such a limited means of taking images. I mean, it's, they're not, 
they're not stellar. I saw the images that you showed me from like the Spider-Man game and and such, and those were way more in depth, and those are like very very impressive. Um, yes. So. Yeah. The, the entire idea that got me talking to you about this is that there are so many new games out that are adding these modes, and so many of them give you such in-depth control over aperture settings, depth of field, uh, field of view, everything like that. Um, I want to say some of them give you white balance control, um, but there's all sorts of different filters and frames and all that kind of kind of Instagram-y stuff, but you can actually get really, really in-depth with a couple of more modern games that are out there, and I thought that you might find that interesting. I do find it interesting. Yeah, the only game that I own of those categories is Breath of the Wild, so that's where I just decided to go. But well, I did when stretch we're unquarantined, it. I'll have you come over and play some mm-hmm. Spider-Man. I did stretch it, though. I was saying earlier, I did actually take it into Photoshop. There's an annoying thing where when you're looking at your photos that you've taken in Breath of the Wild in-game, there's like these... I don't really, there's like these, uh, blue like border. Kinda. Well, there's a border, but you can just crop that out, but it like, it glows from the edges and there's these, um, these lines that are, they're very faint, but when you start to look and not want them, you see them all over the place. They're like these faint pencil thin line, pixel thin lines that are meant to make it look like you're, you're looking at some sort of a digital device, but they cover the photo. And so I, I would, um, but they move, they like swipe from the bottom up. So at a point there is a gap where those lines aren't seen in every part of the image. So I would take like screenshot, 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 screenshot as that gap moved up. And then I would stitch them together in Photoshop so they didn't have to look at them. Boy, Joe, you have far more patience than I do with something like this. I was like, boy, isn't this photo mode thing cool? And you're, you're taking... Did you, so did you take multiple exposures then and then just Basically. stitch them all together? Basically, wow. yeah. Basically. But I, I tried to do... I was like, okay, I think I'm only going to do that once. So I took a photo of... Um, what are the? What's the mountain that's like cut in half called? Dual Peaks, I think. Dual Peaks yeah. or something like so that. So I got a landscape photo of Dual Peaks that I thought was pretty cool at sunset. And I tried some other stuff too, but I'm not going to do too much post work in the other stuff. But anyways, it was fun. Um, it was a day Very where cool. my, my wife was actually using my computer because she was doing some work in Photoshop. And so I needed to watch the baby, which fortunately she was asleep. So my job was basically to hold sleeping baby Jade and play Breath of the Wild and wait for sunset and take pictures. That doesn't sound like a bad gig. No, you know, it's pretty nice. So speaking of limitations in photography kind of inspiring you, that kind of brings me to the other thing that I wanted to talk about today. Joe, when you were just a, a handsome little fella growing up. Was? <laughs> I, when I'm I not going to say you're a handsome little fella right now at the age of 29 oh, okay. or whatever so you are. Okay, so the past is the little part. Yes. Okay. Not, not the handsome because you're fellow that I am now is what you're saying. Yes, Joe. <laughs> you are very handsome and you are shorter than me, so I guess you are little. This is true, but you're very tall. Anyway, just for the record. That's that's true. I am freakishly tall. Anyway, anyway. moving on. <laughs> so, uh, I've been thinking back to uh some of my younger days and what inspired me as a little kid to get into photography. And I, I've actually, in all of our conversations, I know nothing about your origin story as I'd like to like to think of it as. So tell me, tell me all about it. The first time you held a camera in your hands, the first camera you ever owned, you know, your first step into getting something really nice. Like, I, I think it'd be interesting to hear your background and then I'll tell you mine. I was bit by a radioactive camera 
Shutter. And, <laughs> a shutter. <laughs> I was clipped by a radioactive shutter. <laughs> okay, let me think here. See, I don't have the typical, I don't want to say cliche, but I don't have the, um, boy, I've always been, I've always loved capturing life through the lens and all that. That's That's not me. I just... The earliest memories I have of enjoying photography weren't specifically photos, um, although they involved photos. Like I would take a camera, like my mom's point and shoot is the first one I can remember. And I would try my best to make it look professional. I would stretch it. Was it was digital though? It was digital, yeah. I would stretch it to its limits to see how much I could get in the way of um, a shallow depth of field and everything. What age was this? Uh, 14 maybe? Okay. Yeah, maybe like 14. All right. So so even at that younger age, you knew kind of how to compose or you had like a gut instinct more like or did you actually read up on it? Well, I did a lot of reading and watching of YouTube and such to see what I what I thought would look good and what how to make something look really good. Um I definitely did get into the post work um taking relatively bad photos from this little digital camera and trying to make them as good as they could be in Photoshop, you know, enhancing the color or sometimes they would even cut out the background and blur it to enhance uh, like a bokeh effect and making it look like it's more of a shallow depth of field. And then I got a hold of uh, some DSLRs. Like I would borrow my aunts or something and I was like, Whoa, this is like, everything looks so much better when I'm using this thing. Um, but I, I went to school to do, I was intending to do video production, but there's a lot of overlap, as you know, between composition and lighting and everything with video and photos. So I learned both, I guess. And I don't really remember the transition, but I I just decided that I wanted to try to make some money with it because... I'm, it wasn't more out of an inspiration photography-wise. It was more out of uh, entrepreneurial inspiration. And so I was like, okay, well, I could do family photos or senior photos and whatnot. Um, and I knew that wedding photos were a big thing. And eventually I, I started getting into that too. Somebody at work asked me if I did. And I said, oh, I've never tried it before. Do you remember what your first paid gig was like? Yes. It was in my parents' basement which was unfinished. So it wasn't even like a basement room. It was like concrete floor and cinder block walls. And yeah. And fortunately it was, it was friends. It was a, it was a family shoot for uh, some friends of mine, a couple and their little boy, but Oh my gosh, it was like, it was not something that you would do if you didn't know the photographer was like, yeah, come into my basement. And, uh, actually it's my parents' basement and there's like clamp lights set up. Super just, drafty and everything. Oh, yeah. And there's literal <laughs> just, I mean, you can, you can do this, but there were literal clamp lights like that you would get at like Home Depot shooting through umbrellas. And did you have a backdrop? I had a huge black muslin backdrop which like you could see all the wrinkles and stuff. I didn't know how to isolate them from the background. I lit it terribly. It was all frontal lighting. Oh, so (laughs) I mean, looking, I've actually, I ran into those photos recently. I'm like, they were like disgusting, but they definitely are embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. So what about you? You, Hopefully, did you have any more of an inspiring story than mine? Oh, I'm going to take you on a ride, Joe. Take me on a ride. I'm going to first describe 
the very first camera I ever held in my hands to you. Uh, and I want you to tell me what you think it is. Okay. So a little bit about this camera. It uh, shot in two-bit color, which is essentially four shades of color, those being shades of black and varying types of green. It did not have megapixels. It shot 128 by 112 pixels, not megapixels. <laughs> it's like Favicon And resolution. it had 30 images worth of storage. Oh, uh, oh, not oh, oh. bits what, or anything. Was it was it one of those little I had one of these at one point. They were like eight inches tall. They looked like a pen with a clip. They were like 18 bucks at Walmart. Uh no, but it's very close. Uh it's called the Game Boy Camera. Oh, this is wait, I th- so this is is this Wait, did the Game Boy Camera not take pictures? The Game Boy Camera took pictures that aren't in game? I never had one. I don't know how it works. All right, so here's the deal with this thing. You take any old Game Boy system. The Game Boy came out in, like, 95, I want to say, and the Game Boy camera came out in, like, 99 or so. And, um, you know, it only displayed four different colors on it. It's a very rudimentary device, so black and then different shades of gray. Or, uh, you know, if you had a newer model, it'd be black and different shades of, like, or green, I mean to say, for the older models. But, um, yeah, very, very rudimentary I shot a photo that we can put in the description, but I'm just going to send this to you, Joe, because I want to capture your initial reaction to seeing these. So I'm going to send these to you here real quick. Whoa. Whoa. What the heck? Yeah, not exactly the prettiest looking thing in the world, but it still has all my photos saved on it. It actually functions. It actually, yes, it still functions, Joe. (laughs) You You have a photo of our logo. Yeah, I, I took it to show you what it would look like. So what, and I see your, your portrait of you and your wife. Yes, yeah, so here's the crazy thing about this thing. So it, it stuck out of the the Game Boy like a friggin' tumor. And you could stick the camera and either have it pointing forward or you could actually rotate the camera 100 degrees for like a selfie type mode and take selfies with it by actually rotating the camera's head like on a swivel and taking photos of it. What what year was this like a thing? When were you doing this? Uh well the Game Boy camera came out in 99. I was born in 93, so it must have been like I doubt I had it right when it first came out. So I was probably like 7 or 8 years old. I guess I'm I'm wondering like what's the comparison of this versus actual digital cameras of the time because i know that they were like you know one megapixel digital cameras and such not much um the i if i'm not mistaken don't quote me on this but i believe that it got a guinness world record for being the world's smallest digital camera at the time (laughs) but because i mean it's a tiny little thing the actual image sensor is like the size of like Boy, I wouldn't even want to guess. But it's just this little thing. The camera part of it swivels around, so you can either have it forward or backward facing. And uh, people get crazy with this thing. People have used photos from this as album covers. What? People have made mounts for the Game Boy camera to attach to an EF lens. Somebody attached their 70-200 f2.8 Canon L series to this bad boy and taken photos of the moon... I'm not sure if they'd let us link it, but I, you can Google it by just searching Game Boy Camera Moon, and what people have gotten nuts with this thing. 
and I think it's like the coolest little piece of geeky tech in the world. I'm quite impressed, actually. I just, I don't see the appeal. I'm, I'm impressed that it can be done. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a total hipster thing to do. Like, let me attach this $2,000 lens to this $5 hunk of plastic. But the fact that it's been done is so cool. And it was my very first camera that I remember having. And even at that quality, that inspired you to do more with like better equipment and such? That got the ball rolling. So, I mean, I've had like disposable cameras and stuff like that. I remember pretty vividly that um, at one point in my childhood, my parents had taken us to an aquarium and there was like a walk-in reef, I guess you could call it. And I had like a disposable underwater camera and we'd always get like disposable cameras if we ever went on a trip or anything like that. And that was kind of cool. But uh, you and I, I think we kind of had a similar path going into video production. Uh, My very first camera that I ever had, you actually sold to me. Well, the first more higher end, at least in my perspective at the time. I did? You did. I don't remember you as a customer at this. We can't, we don't, we can't say the store, right? What do we call it? Preferred purchases. Preferred purchases? Yes. Sure. Why not? And uh, you were selling cameras and I was working as a a cash register very, very early on. And I told you, hey, I want to go into a film uh, production class for at college. And you were like, all right, buy this. And uh, it was like one of our very first interactions. Uh, This is how how the ball got rolling here. And, uh, you know, it was a little Canon T3i, which I guess is still a pretty popular camera. I still have my Canon T2i. Yeah, just something about that line, the T2i and the T3i. I mean, anything past that, the 4i, the 5i, nobody ever really pays attention to, but the 2i and 3i, I guess must have hit some crazy sales numbers or something like that. But it was my first ever professional camera, and I had intended on using it to get into video. You know, I I did take some kind of filmmaking courses and stuff like that. But the thing that I realized is that if you want to make a movie, you need people. So if you want to do like a short film or anything like that, you need actors, you need somebody on mic and everything like that. So I took this little video camera out and decided, you know, I'm going to take some still photos with it. It's a still photo camera, may as well. And uh, I think that the, the progression is interesting there because like everybody kind of starts out by just taking photos of like what's kind of cool to you. And, you know, maybe you do some landscape photos or close ups of flowers or whatever it ends up being. And then you post those online or you show them off to your friends and they're like, wow, that's great. Can you take a photo of my baby? Uh, yeah, sure. Great. I wondered how that transition works. Like, boy, you take great pictures of, you know, trees. Can you take a picture of my infant? Yeah, I guess it's just people assume that it's a skill that is just totally transferable to any other type of photography. I think it's the same mentality that goes into like, oh, you knew how to change my screensaver? Cool. Can you install Can you get a rid new of this hard virus? drive? Yeah. <laughs> if you know anything about computers, you obviously know everything. And same thing about photography. If you can take great pictures of um, your cat lying around the house, then you must be a great wedding photographer. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, that's it. If it works, it works. Yeah. I can't believe that's that's so interesting that your first inspiring piece of gear was a Game Boy camera. Yeah. Absolutely. Good for you, man. If you can, if you can come as far as Chris Golden has from that point. (laughs) Yeah. I've gone from literally, uh, like 0.01 megapixels to about 50 or so. It's been, been quite a ride. I think the first digital camera that I actually owned, 
besides, you know, like disposable film cam, well, digital camera. I think it was one of those like $18 Walmart little pocket. Little toy ones. Yeah. Well, nowadays we would call a webcam. Oh, okay. Yeah. What nowadays we would just call a webcam, except that it was powered by like two triple A's and it held, it held like, held 19 images. Wow. And it would cap off at that. And they were really, really low res, but. Did you, uh, did your parents ever get you a Polaroid or any type of instant camera as a kid? No, but they, they would give me a uh, disposable camera for every, every summer when I went to camp. That's cool. Yeah, I, uh, that was fun. I remember there was another uh, instant camera that I'd gotten as a younger kid, probably a little past the Game Boy camera age, but uh, I, I was called the, uh, I want to get this right, Polaroid iZone, and it was this thing that was like, you know, maybe about as uh, as wide as like an envelope and about as thick, or uh, about as long as well. It's not as thick as one, it's a little camera, but okay. it took little instant photos the size of like a postage stamp and i remember being like super impressed on it and like oh man i can print out my own photos whenever i want to and then you're out like that (laughs) and i always thought about that because uh when you and i were still working at uh preferred purchase uh there were be there there was a huge influx of people that were coming in and buying actual new polaroid cameras for their kids and I don't think they realized the rabbit hole that they dug themselves because so many kids wanted these Polaroid cameras for Christmas or their birthdays or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's that's quite a rabbit hole that they get you going down. Well, you're lucky. I don't think that I was ever actually, I don't think that I ever actually had a camera purchased for me because the first real real camera that I bought was the T2i and then after that was the 5D. Did you buy the, uh, the wow, that's quite the progression. It was a jump. Yeah, like $600 camera to a $2,800 camera body, I think was what it was at the time or something, something like that. That is such an insane leap. How did you make that call? Well, I had actually been renting the 5D for like every wedding that I was doing. I would rent that um, or I would rent a 60 sometimes. Uh, yeah, 60. Yeah. Um, and I just found that I really, really liked the 5D Mark III and I was renting it over and over and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to buy it. Because I will use it. I will use it, so I'm not just going to rent it each time. Do you remember what your very first wedding that you shot was like? Yes. Um, it w- I remember it being very... I remember being, being scared. Being very scared. Um, actually, I was scared of shooting weddings for a long time. I was nervous like every time. I think I was paid like $300. <laughs> you know. Something. To me, it was like, whoa, $300? That's amazing. And then... As soon as I finished the wedding and started working on all the photos, I'm like, this is worth so much more than $300. <laughs> like, I'm never going <laughs> to do it for 300 I think the next one I did was I did for 800 And even then I was like, I got to charge more. It's just not worth my time for this amount of work. Anyways, but it was a friend at work at Preferred Purchases. I was really nervous and I actually am, I, I remained nervous about shooting weddings for many, many weddings after that. It's hard to recall like the night itself. It was a very small venue in Elmira. Um, it was actually that one like, say like more or less than 50 people. Uh, just barely more, technically more, but not, I don't think there was even like 80. I don't remember emotionally how I felt besides just nervous at the beginning. Um, I remember that the bride seemed to know a lot more about 
the logistics of it than I did. She was saying like, okay, well, we need to have a contract and um, we need to have a model release in case you ever want to sell the photos and all these kind of things. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. We're like at a table in the mall going over this and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you're, you're doing your best to not freak out yeah well i just all I, the same time you're like uh-huh uh-huh yeah, yeah we need yeah. that uh yeah i know what's going on i i don't want to appear ignorant uh, <laughs> um yeah i don't really think there was anything extremely significant to report she definitely had she definitely had more of a model-esque uh goal in mind and, and i was still figuring out some things like i'd I, I was not nearly as confident with lighting as I am now. Um, so there, it was, it was a lot of shots where like I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know how to make it come to fruition. So looking back on it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't good. I mean, it, again, it wasn't the thing I said before with another shoot, it wasn't disgusting, but it would have been disappointing these days. Was it in your, uh, your T2I days? It was using the T2I. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing that, I've learned since then, but I mean, there's a myriad of things that I've learned since then, you know, ways using the camera, different lighting techniques. But the biggest thing is actually having the confidence to say like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to move this light over here. or I'm going to say, Hey, we should take photos at this time, taking some control. Um, even if saying like, Hey, she, oh, I want a picture of my shoes, says the bride. And I say, oh, okay, well, let's do it in this room by this window instead of just going by, oh, well, now we have to go here in this dinky little corner of the room that looks terrible because this is where she's asking. Now I can actually say, oh, you know what? It would look fantastic if we did this. Just uh, just having the confidence to take control of the situation to make it look as good as you can be. I think that's the biggest one of the biggest things that I've learned. It's a beautiful thing when you finally have that aha moment where you're like, okay, I want to get this shot and I know how to do it. Yeah. Like there's, I don't know what it is, but every like type of shot, every style, every pose or something like that, I've always gone in with a mindset like, okay, I want to do this thing. And then you struggle for a little bit, but that first time that you go in, on like a brand new shoot or a brand new client or something like that. And you absolutely nail it. Oh, there's, there's no better feeling. It's intoxicating. I, re I do remember that feeling and it wasn't actually at weddings. It was started to happen at senior photo shoots, like high school seniors uh -huh. where I actually had some repeatable systems for lighting or posing. And I, and I no longer went into a shoot thinking, boy, I hope this looks good. It was actually like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I know what works mm -hmm. and I could go in confidently. And that's when I started to have a lot less fear. It's <laughs> when I actually realized, I convinced myself, realized myself that like, oh, I actually am producing consistently good results. At least, I mean, I'm consistently happy with my results. Yeah. They, uh, they call that imposter syndrome. And yeah. it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with where, you know, you don't think like, am I really good enough to be charging this amount? And, uh, I still struggle with that on a lot of shoots. I mean, you, you definitely have more experience than I do in the photography business side of things. I've only had my going for less than a year now, but still I've started to get to that point where I'm not going into a shoot thinking like, why did these people hire me? And like halfway through the shoot, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I am good. I, I at least know what I'm doing. And you start patting yourself on the back. We're good to go. We got this. It, it's so funny that you say that because like there have been times where like I'd be like looking at the back of my camera and be like, oh, this looks amazing. 
and I'd like go and show it to the people and they'd be like, wow, that's awesome. I'd be like, I know, isn't it so cool? (laughs) (laughs) I was doing a shoot for a uh, glass artist who had some works that, because we live, you live in Corning and I live near Corning, Corning Museum of Glass. He was an artist who works there. Glass is a huge thing. Crystal City. Specific area of the world. Yeah. If you're listening and you aren't aware of Corning, we're not talking about like it's a museum full of windows. It's like glass art. It's beautiful stuff. So anyway, there was this artist who had some pieces that he was putting in a gallery and he wanted some images of them. There was a point where I figured out it was it was interesting glass sculpture. So there was translucent aspects, there was reflections. But when we finally figured out the, a lighting setup that really made it shine, that I started to geek out. I was like, oh, this is so cool, man. It looks so great. And he's like, yeah, I like it too. I'm like, yeah, we just got it. And the, like, okay, try to keep cool. But inside I was like, it looks so awesome. I do. Right. I love that feeling. But you know Absolutely. what? It, to kind of segue into our wrap up here, I think that that feeling only comes from just doing, from just getting out and shooting again and again and again and trying more stuff. And it's really a good idea, especially if you're doing this as a business, that kind of practice shooting, don't do it on your clients. Don't practice on your clients. Get out and shoot other stuff that's not for work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would have never dared to have tried a paid maternity shoot before I did one for my friends here recently. And that's also when I found out that I wasn't a big fan. So it's a good idea to, if you're going to try something new, don't do it with a client. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we have the Facebook group and the photo assignment slash challenges slash word that we can't think of yet. To get people out there and and, and trying something new. Uh, This month, the challenge is kind of weird, but it's going to inspire you in other ways. It's going to get you exercising different creative muscles. Um, As a reminder, the challenge this year, this year, this month, actually, what is the challenge this month? You remember it. So the challenge is something office slash desk space related at the longest focal length that you have access to. So if you have a 200 millimeter lens, you shoot it with a 200 millimeter lens. You got a, you know, you got an 18 to 24 or whatever a wide angle would be. You shoot it with a 24. Just but as if you own a longer lens, you got to use that. Exactly. So not only that, but it also has to do with printmaking or the subject of printing. Yeah, it has to feature something to do with printmaking. It could be a frame. It could be a mat board cutter. It's something. Um, as per the bonus challenge of Vlad Denko, who was featured in the previous episode. Yeah, that that's, uh, that was not that was a twist I was not expecting. I was definitely thinking he'd go, oh, and have it printed, not take a photo of a print. <laughs> I thought he would take it easier on us. But. So um, that's the challenge this year. This Why do I keep saying this year? That's the challenge this month. So, it's a good challenge. I don't think it's going to last us a whole 12 months. It's not going to last though, a year. <laughs> so we want to see submissions and we want to see interaction on this. And you can upload your photos and share them on our Facebook page, which the link is in the description. It's Boca Banter Facebook groups. And we want to see some interaction. We want to get some ideas flowing and some creative juices going. And I might've already said that before and I apologize if I repeated myself. (laughs) No worries. All right. So get out there, uh, take a virtual photo walk if you can't leave your house. And if you can't leave your house and you want to take actual photos, take one of your desk. If you don't have an at home workspace, make it look like you do. You do work at home. You do something at home. You've got a coffee table. You've got a pencil. 
Yeah. We believe in you. Get creative. So thanks for listening. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for listening as <laughs> Joe dies. <laughs> you can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, iTunes. I don't know how Apple stuff works. Uh, Apple but Podcasts. Yeah, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. And if you could think of another one that we should be on, let us know. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Talk to you next time, Chris. Bye, everyone. <laughs>